0: computer initialize hollow suite
1: media
2: It's time to talk about the Temporal Cold War. That's right, you're listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. And we are finally, finally, after what four months almost, going to sink our teeth into the first Temporal Cold War episode of the show, beyond the Broken Bow, the pilot. We've waited deliberately. We've done what they did on Enterprise. We've eased you in with standalone stories, introduced you to us. Myself, Carl West. My host, Chris Hill. Say hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. (laughs) And now we're here to hit you with one of our ARC storylines. So today it is Cold Front. So we will be discussing uh it's i think it's episode 10 of enterprise but i don't know if it was technically episode 11
1: yeah the 10th produced 11 when you're watching it
2: a really fun episode i can't wait to talk about it we're going to do a little bit differently this week as well so normally we tend to just give you a summary of the plot at the beginning and then we spend 30 40 50 minutes and just breaking down what we liked best bits character motives but this time we're going to go a bit more traditional we're going to Basically talk through the episodes as it happens in a sense. You know, the order of events. As if it was a proper review of an episode that may have just aired this week. So uh, we're going to tackle it a little differently. So that's fun. Spice things up on the show. Don't want to get too safe in how we do things. Before that, just a little bit of business. We are on most of the best podcast apps. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts. I don't even know. And we're on apps, so whatever podcast app you use, you can find us through those.
1: You can find us on TuneIn if you listen through that. There we go. Probably probably iHeartRadio, I haven't checked that, but just search in The Expanse if you've got iHeartRadio and see what happens.
2: Yes, Chris is much more informed on those things than me, so (laughs) take his word for it. Even though we're called The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast when we were set up on Apple Podcasts we've been put on as The Expanse and Enterprise podcast so make sure that's what you search for as the name because I don't know if it's to do with the amount of characters or or something like that but um, we're not on there as The Expanse a Star Trek Enterprise podcast it is The Expanse and Enterprise podcast so be sure to look I guess is all I can say on that on those apps or whatever you use to listen to us please just hit subscribe or like or favorite whatever it offers you so that you will always know when we've released a new episode we drop every single Wednesday uh, until we run out of ideas Chris and then I guess we'll go bi-weekly but <laughs> or once a month maybe.
1: yeah I can say we've still got plenty of time because you know we still got to do commentaries for every episode We got to do our issues from each episode and these, these review episodes.
2: Yeah we've, we've got at least uh, four to six years of, of content to do for it so we ain't going anywhere anytime soon so um yeah please uh, subscribe to us on those make sure you review us as well five stars please guys if you don't want to give us five stars because i hate begging but apparent, apparently it does help with like algorithms and stuff so um the more five stars we get the better for us getting noticed and if we get noticed more listeners helps for our ego and our sense of pride and sense of achievement uh, on the show and obviously it helps us with our patreon which uh, i'm going to drop the details for that in a moment Uh, i just want to very quickly say a big thank you to everyone who has already reviewed us Uh, even before this we found a new review on um on podcast addict uh, which we don't always check so Mm -hmm. it's great to just come across these things and um, to our existing patrons and thank you for signing up. And for those who are wondering how they can support the show, please just listen to the next 60 seconds, and then we'll be right back afterwards with our review of Star Trek Enterprise Cold Front.
1: If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com nx01podcast. There you can view our subscription tiers. Some of the benefits of becoming a patron include early access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and so much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from the show. To all of our existing patrons, we appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we would be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Again, visit patreon.com slash Annex01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details of this podcast episode.
2: Welcome back to The Expanse. You're with Kyle. You're with Chris. We're still here, still in the booth. Chris, are you excited to talk about Cold Front?
1: I, I am. When uh, when I first saw this episode, I was like, hey, this is pretty interesting. Let's kind of see where where it goes. So I guess we can see where it goes from here.
2: And we've waited a long time to get into the temporal Cold War. And, mm-hmm. and now we're doing it. It's uh, It feels... It feels like shit is getting real on this podcast now. Let's get going then. So the episode begins with Future Guy and Silic and some random Suleban who clearly follows Future Guy's orders and not Silic. But Silic is on an operating bed and he's getting a bollocking off of Future Guy about, I guess, what happened in Broken Bow an Archer uh, foiled their plans in that one. And they've taken away... Was it the extra, like... Uh, extra sensory stuff that was put into Silic's eyes, genetic modification. Was that what they were removing?
1: Yeah, it was, it was the the eyes.
2: So Future Guy has been given them all these modifications, and now as punishment, he's taken them away. And Silic says, "Well, you know, I need, I need these modifications. Please, not my eyes." And then Future Guy's all like, "You won't be needing it with your next mission, or whatever that whatever his line is." And we're like, "Ooh!" And then it's like, "Ooh!" Faith of the heart. And we get to have a little sing along. So, Chris, first question to you: This was the first time we'd seen Silic since Broken Bow. What was your immediate feeling when you when you first see him there in the scene? And you see the power dynamic is very clear that Silic is just a henchman and nothing more. I think that's very clear in this scene, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I'm- you know, because from Broken Bow, we thought that maybe he was sort of the organizer of the cabal here for for the Sulaban. but it turns out that he's really just basically a lieutenant, and not the general.
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, there's a lot of that in this episode, actually, where what you thought you knew or expected mm-hmm. is flipped on its head. It turns out you didn't know what you thought you knew and what you were expecting. Something else completely happened. Different happened. So Future Guy's still a bit of a still a bit of a twat. He's not a nice man. He sounds evil. So even though yeah. this, this episode will go on to try and make us think that he's the good guy and that the Sulaban are fighting for the right side, I don't know, there's something about the voice, something about Future Guy's voice, man, that tells me yeah, tells me he ain't good. That was the teaser, very quick. Very related to the episode as well, which hasn't always mm-hmm. been the case with Enterprise episodes, in the sense of directly related to the teaser. Like, this this very much clearly sets up that Silic's going to do something on the ship and then we're going to get another temporal cold war episode but sometimes enterprise had a random teaser going on and with like a little hint at the end of what's to come like a new planet or a ship shows up or something like that trip playing the harmonica before a ship pulls yeah. up next to them so we hit the opening credits uh, when we come back it's on hoshi and travis who are on their way to work which i quite liked the idea that they're on their way yeah. to the bridge It was kind of cool. It was like they've arrived at work. They've gone and got changed, hung their bags up, their coats up, and now they're just walking together onto the shop floor or the office floor, wherever they they are. I like that. Now, question, man. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Travis makes a comment about the, the movie that he was at for movie night and Hoshi being very ho she said he should have just read a book but travis says 50,000 movies in the database and we're moving watching this one or something i find it quite incredible that 50,000 movies at least survived world war 3
1: yeah guess they were able to piece them together with with a whole bunch of different hard drives or you know a couple of dvds survived and stuff like that
2: I always had it in my head that throughout Enterprise... Because they were always watching these old films and stuff. And mm-hmm. by name or by seeing some of it. And I, when I always see it, I, I kind of thought it was always influenced by what was in the Paramount Library. As to what they show or yeah. something. But I kind of always, my head, always thought that maybe the more modern stuff got lost in World War Three, And so that's why they were always watching these like old films. Because I don't see how those films would be considered the classics that you must watch all the time otherwise uh, in the future. But... I guess it happens. Yeah. But yeah, I was kind of like, uh, I was like, wow, 50,000 films. I'm surprised they got access to that many. Very quickly, though, we get our first Daniels site in. He is serving, I guess, breakfast or something? Yeah. To Archer. And I thought to myself, uh, they clearly know each other. So Daniels has been there for some time. My first thought was really smart, that Daniels took on that role. So obviously history must have told them that Archer had his own chef, would eat in his own captain's mess, whatever he called it. I thought it was pretty genius for going undercover of Daniels. Mm-hmm. Did you think though that, I guess in general, that we'd met Daniels sooner, even in just in that role? Like they knew what they were writing for the part a few weeks before, so could they not have maybe hired the actor to be there in one of the food scenes two episodes earlier?
1: Yeah, I think they probably should have done it. Just kind of, you know, subliminally put that in there. And so that way, when we see him in this episode, we're like, oh, hey, yeah, he's supposed to be there. Because here it just kind of seems random.
2: I always think of like the Flash in the TV show on the CW network. Have you ever watched it?
1: No, I haven't.
2: Okay, I don't spoil anything. But basically in the fourth season, there's a character who's going to be major in the fifth season. Mm -hmm. And we see her very briefly once or twice. She just appears in season four, interacting with some of the lead characters very quickly, like a random character bumping into them, stuff like that. And then right at the end of the season, she shows up and we find out who, who she actually is, and she's a major character. But they'd already created like curiosity about her, like we knew her already. Yeah. I think if Daniels had been even just seen delivering food to Archer and his people and his name being mentioned, it would have made his appearance in this episode mean a bit more. Now, I, I like Daniels in this episode. I love the idea yeah. of him. But I just thought, man, you could have... Could have done so much more with that. Imagine if he was one of the characters from um, Strange New World episode. uh, He's been on the planet. Or any of the other ones. And just imagine then finding out, oh my God, Daniels is from the future? What the hell? Rather than this new character who shows up suddenly has lots of lines, and then you know something's up. Mm -hmm. That was just my thought on it anyway.
1: But I think that also kind of goes back to the different directing and writing styles between now and 20 years ago.
2: Absolutely. It wouldn't be done that way now, would it, with Daniels? We would definitely know Daniels ahead of time, I think, in Star Trek now.
1: We would see him, you know, on the bridge, you know, kind of listening in on Broken Bow of what's going on. Mm. That'd be a good place to, to start him, too.
2: Daniels is asking about they've altered course. And they're going to see some mm-hmm. spatial event. I can't remember. The Great Plume or Bloom or something?
1: Plume of Egosauria.
2: Uh, oh, brilliant. There we go. I did have the window open with these details, but it's covered by my other windows. So <laughs> um, I'm relying on you for all the, this info, Chris. And also, I've realized I enjoy hearing you pronouncing some of the alien names and such. Uh, I've re- I, I laugh at myself on the edits when I just clearly <laughs> leave you hanging every time you try to do it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's all right. I mean, if somebody's going to stumble over it, might as well be
2: me. It's just me being too chicken to do it myself.
0: <laughs>
2: Daniels is wondering why Enterprise had um, changed course, blah, blah, blah. Weird question to ask, really, but, you know, mm-hmm. we find out why later. They bump into a ship that's at the same place. The captain... Uh, God, his name... I didn't even write this one down, and I didn't hear it properly then. Fraddick. Fraddick. So Fraddick is a bit of a smart ass. Mm-hmm. Not very social. He says he's got crew on board who are there for a religious reasons, and Archer offers to let them come over to his bigger ship, do their stuff with them. And so he says he'll let them know, but he's going to stay where they are. Now, I like this captain's makeup, and I want to talk about the makeup in general. I thought the alien makeup was very good in this episode. That alien captain—it would have been so easy just to give him the old forehead or a little yeah. ridge on his nose, you know—but he was in full headpiece. He was covered up. I mean, um, but he was a bit—he was a bit of a dick, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. It did give him a little bit more of a a personality, you know, instead of just your typical, don't really worry about this guy, he's not important type person.
2: Yeah, I just love that um, Starfleet ships don't command any respect yet. Like, there's no one one sucking up because it's the Federation or anything. They're just like, oh, God, look at these. He just seems like a grumpy old man. Mm -hmm. If Captain Jonathan Archer shows up, happy-go-lucky, season one Archer, you're probably like, oh, God, I just...
1: Get off my lawn.
2: Exactly. I don't have to deal with you. Just get going. So they do come over, the aliens. And again, their makeup as well. I just thought a lot of them had quite complex makeup with and hairstyles. And I appreciated that because at this point in Star yeah. Trek production, I think we may have discussed it before, but at this point, you know, the alien makeup was getting pretty tired. Boring. Boring, exhausted. Kept the same team for so long. And clearly it's not that there was no more ideas because we're seeing on Star Trek now some brilliant Mm-hmm. Alien makeup ideas. I think they just, you know, they needed to freshen up the team and they didn't. But so I thought on this one it was quite cool that particularly when they had to have quite a few different alien races all in one that they did still not take any easy approach. I mean, did you did you think anything of the makeup in particular?
1: I I just, I kind of liked it because it reminded me of a bearded dragon or something like that from here on earth.
2: Yeah, the ones with like the points coming out and on they're on the chin.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: One on the corner of the chin the head. I was trying to think what it reminded me of and it is. You're right. Like a bearded dragon kind of thing.
1: And and you know since when I first saw this, I hadn't seen DS9, I didn't know anything about the Gem Hadar, but now that I've seen Deep Space Nine, mm. they do kind of look similar to the to the Gem Hadar as well. Just less scaly.
2: In this scene when the aliens come over, they're really, they're really nice and pleasant, and they're meeting Archer mm-hmm. and Trip. Was T'Pol there? I can't remember.
1: Yeah, yeah, T'Pol's there.
2: You know what I realize probably should happen when aliens come on board? Is that rather than T'Pol being there, it should be Hoshi mm-hmm. as the linguist. She should be there for any problems, but she's not one of the main three, I guess, so... <laughs> yeah. Never mind. What really got me mate, in this bit was that when Archer offered that they could uh, have food there, because they had yeah. a chef preparing food, and then I think they used the term, well, normally, we, you know, we fast during this yeah. special time, but uh, maybe on this occasion, they, sh- they could break with tradition. I don't know, I just thought, if you're that devoted to something, it's a religion to them, mm-hmm. or a religious event, would they break with tradition if the thing was to fast? Because fasting takes place in religions here and they don't break with tradition. I I teach people online who, you know, at various times of the year, I have to make sure I don't take a sip of a drink on camera mm-hmm. in front of them or or talk about eating because they're fasting for, for their beliefs and, uh, and their events. So, yeah, just that bit. Only now, I guess previously before this experience, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought anything of it. But I was kind of like, it seems a bit lazy that or maybe even disrespectful to... To their religion to do it. What what was your thinking? Did it did it jump out at you?
1: Um, it did a little bit, but to me I kind of chalked it up to maybe they're explorers too, and they kind of understand, you know, a whole first contact thing. Maybe even their religion allows for, for provisions like this.
2: I guess they did call it a tradition yeah. rather than a ritual. Yeah, ritual, yeah. So I guess I guess that maybe I overthought that. But I mean like if if you were vegetarian well, I am vegetarian, but if I was <laughs> you know if I went there and so oh, you know we've cr- we've made these delicious steaks for you I wouldn't say well I don't eat meat but I could break with tradition for this so no I'm <laughs> I'm probably going to say oh thank you so much but I don't consume meat <laughs> yeah that was yeah it jumped out at me but it was a nice scene I I I like I didn't mind the motives behind it just it kind of yeah. it, it kind of felt like well, I don't know if people would be so flippant uh, so is flippant the right word to and you know to so quick to give up their traditions. It just felt like someone whoever wrote that probably Brandon Braga or Rick Berman. I can't remember who wrote this episode. Might not have been them. Either of them actually.
1: Stephen Beck and Tim Finch wrote this.
2: Oh, there we go. Story by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga. Uh no. Wow, their names are almost always all over the early episodes. That's crazy. Wow, I'm learning something new. I'm shocked at that, actually.
1: Directed by Tom Paris himself.
2: Robert, Duncan, Neil. Wow. Mm-hmm. He didn't do many, though, on Enterprise, did he, uh, ultimately? No. So that happens anyway. It turns out that all these aliens believe that the universe started it in this particular area of space. And they believe that, I guess, over time, the universe resets itself and restarts again. I don't know how mm-hmm. many thousand years or million years, they think, but that's what their religion is based on. Uh, it was interesting when they asked Archer if he belonged, like what his religious beliefs were. Yeah. And did he belong to religion? And he was like, you know, oh, you know, I like to keep a open mind or something and I thought that was interesting because I know Trek captains have been traditionally evasive isn't the word but I think in Star Trek they've been keen not to tie a captain down to any particular religion because Gene Roddenberry obviously eventually decided that there wasn't really any religion which it seems crazy to think that that would ever be the case anyway but I thought with Archer you know like with he's a bit closer to us and He's really, and I mean this is no slight on you, Chris, as an American, but he's really got that, like, all-American go-get-em attitude to him. I I just, in my head, I guess I kind of thought that it would be very easy for them to make Archer a very clear Christian, Mm -hmm. but they didn't. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting, uh, just because...
1: Probably because they couldn't settle on which which Protestant faith to, <laughs> to stick him in.
2: Yeah, they maybe that would be the issue, yeah, they, and they didn't want to offend anyone with it. But I thought if they ever wanted to tie a captain down to any core religious beliefs, really, then archer's probably the one you could do it with mm-hmm. and it would be perfectly in sync with his character as well there's a funny bit on the bridge uh reed is worrying well he knows that archer is giving a tour to their new guests mm-hmm. um and he's worrying about archer might show them around the armory <laughs>
1: in any tactical area
2: yeah in any tactical area which i mean i'm amazed that in theory reed should have there should be like serious <coughs> personnel with guests yeah. at all time but but I do uh, I do love that he's saying there should be some protocols in place to protect the key areas. I've always thought this, you know, whenever anyone like comes into uh, the captain's ready room, be it, you know, be it on uh, Enterprise, uh, NX Enterprise or the Enterprise D or wherever. Mm. I'm always like, man, they've had to walk through the bridge to get here. Like we, they've been allowed into the the hub of operations. It just seems like you wouldn't let anyone in that key area without like right. complete supervision or something. And that's going to become an issue very shortly, is about being in a key area and being able to uh, get away with doing something. This did make me think of with Reed, though. We, we chatted about Reed, obviously, a number of weeks ago. Early Reed was brilliant, wasn't he? He's just mm-hmm. so paranoid and all about protocol and uh, procedures. And I get a chuckle out of him.
1: Yeah, yeah, your typical early, early season Reed there, so
2: question for you if mm-hmm. you were left in command of the bridge would you take the chair
1: yes i would i mean <laughs> it's the chair and you're the one that's in in command at that moment and you know when when the person that says hey you have the cotton returns i'll be like i kept it warm for you
2: <laughs> so we've seen obviously people take the chair whenever they've been given command whereas on enterprise it seemed to be a bit more of a bigger thing for someone to actually sit on a mm-hmm. chair i don't know if maybe it's because the bridge was so small that uh, they didn't worry about it so much but Travis is faced with the same question uh, from Hoshi when Travis is left in command um, and Hoshi says, you know, aren't you going to take the chair? And he's like, no. And here's the best bit now. Travis says that he's not in any rush to sit in it because he's happy to wait until he's promoted. (laughs) Yeah. And Travis has no idea that he's never, ever going to get promoted from Ensign. So if he did wait, he'd be waiting a long bloody time. To sit in the chair. But he does do it. And he does take the seat like you would, Chris. And then almost immediately, Reed comes back on the bridge. I mean, Reed has been a bit of an ass, just even even if he'd been serious. Yeah. It's such a stupid thing to get funny with someone on. Even though Travis looked obviously very awkward and uncomfortable, you could see that Reed thought it was quite funny that that happened. And they, there's a smirk in it. I guess it showed May- Mayweather being a bit, bit younger, I guess. It showed his age a little bit. Yeah. You know, a young officer and such, I thought anyway. Let's talk about what happens in engineering. Trip is having fun teaching them about the warp core, pretending they're stupid, really, and they're kids. And it turns yeah. out there's actually like a warp physicist in the group and stuff. And, Connage and his reaction's brilliant when he realises and that he's been talking down to them, really. But during this, one of the aliens who well, we're gonna have to talk him about him by who he actually is for the sake of this review. But it is Silic, uh, who looks like someone else.
1: Spoilers, by the way.
2: Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, don't. I, I get my blood boiling. Uh, Silic gets an opportunity to very quickly break something. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Right by the warp core, sticks his hand in, uh, rips something. He bends his arms. That's when you know he's a sulaban It's probably Silic. And yeah, he breaks it, and then he's off, and he's gone. And this is what I was saying earlier, mate. About you know, shouldn't be taking anyone to these mm-hmm. such key areas. No, like engineering where the warp core is.
1: Or if you do, you know, have them, you know, stay in one certain area and be like, hey, it goes back a ways.
2: If you don't really need to see it. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy. I mean, yeah, it worked out, but. I think it's so risky. That happens anyway. It turns out Silic indirectly saves the ship. But basically what happens before that is that the ship's starting to rock a little bit from where they are. That whole bloom thing or plume, whatever it's called. We cut to Daniels who's surprised that the ship's experiencing some trouble. He seems worried. Which I find weird because up until this point, nothing should be a surprise to Daniels now. Because nothing has changed or nothing has been changed by any events caused by Future Guy and Silic So far. Yes because they went to that nebula or whatever you want to call it before they saw silic so silic mm-hmm. had nothing to do with it so Daniels should know about all this really if future guy knew the enterprise was going to be there in mm-hmm. this exact thing and need to have this bit of their um warp engine or something stopped like broken then why wouldn't Daniels know if future guy knew oh, why wouldn't Daniels
1: my theory is silic actually was the one that kind of made it to where they were. They would be sure to, you know, get hit by the plasma storm, and you know that's why he went ahead and pulled off that that junction to kind of stop it. And so that's one of the things. And and I'm I'm sure you know with the technology they were able to kind of see slightly different versions of events as well as what actually happened. But this one wasn't one of the ones that they could see.
2: To know what we know about Archer later and his role in the Federation, Daniels is always trying to protect that. Mm -hmm. We would have to assume, given that. Future Guy and Silic hadn't done anything to influence what the Enterprise was doing until this point. That if Silic hadn't been there, the NX-01 would have blown up. And Archer would have yeah. never played the role in the Federation that Daniels knows him for. Which means that Silic always went there mm-hmm. on the Enterprise and saved it. It's, it almost seems like a cause and effect kind of thing going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Daniels is there to catch him because they know that at some point he's going to shove on the ship. But actually, I don't understand because like Daniels clearly comes from a future where Silic had always saved the ship.
1: Yeah. Because
2: Daniels knows Archer going on to do everything he did. So I don't know. I'm confusing myself as I'm saying it. But it's, it it, it feels like the episode is taking two or three different approaches to time travel sometimes. Um, You can't make sense of time travel normally. But the way you can do it is if at least one story or one episode or one series, however they Mm -hmm. do it, sticks to a certain set of its own rules and i think in this episode the way that i don't think they completely got a handle on that daniel's and what he could and couldn't do and what he did and didn't know i was thinking about it more now than i think i was before like when i was a young man watching this 15 year old i wouldn't have even thought about that whereas now it's like all i think about yeah trying to get a little deeper in yeah and for the sake of this podcast as well i guess and um, so there's a Antimatter cascade and it's I love Tripp's trying to act all cool in front of all the, the guests and the visitors, but you can see he's started to stress that he's about to lose a ship. The warp core is about to blow up if the cascade gets as far as it and what, it stops like fifty centimetres away from, from the warp core yeah. because of what of what Silic did. So Silic saved Enterprise. So there's a there's a twist in the plot. Did you know what the hell was going on at this point?
1: At this point I wasn't quite sure why exactly he would do that but maybe mm. it was to try to get into the good graces of Archer just to betray him later. Yeah. Because we we find out later, you know, that, that he does does take responsibility for everything.
2: This would lead to Daniel's outing himself as a time traveler. Mm-hmm. It starts off when he's trying to catch Archer in the corridor and wants to chat with him. Now, Archer's really a bit of a dick to him. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, just go away. You know, I'm I'm busy. I'm doing something. Now, I know Archer particularly in the early days, could be temperamental in a way we hadn't really seen him with other captains. He's a very emotional guy, Archer. But this seemed a little bit off even by his standards. Yeah. He didn't know Silic was on the ship yet. You know, there's no justification for it. he's really rude to a guy who like seems to be lovely to him <laughs> in Daniels. But he basically mentions what went on with the oh, what do you call it? What do they call it, the Suleban hub things? Helix.
1: Yeah, the helix. He mentions
2: the helix and yeah, and such. And I think Silic and Archer at this point is like, "Whoa, how do you know about that?" And then goes to Daniel's quarters. Uh, Daniel's mentions the, the temporal cold war. And at this point, Archer, I think Archer did a very good job, now at keeping a yeah, keeping his cards hidden, um, trying to get information out of Daniels. And Daniels, we find out, is from the future. And I thought that when Archer realised that, when Archer was like, where well, are you saying you're a time traveller? There's a reaction that Scott Bakula does that when, it, like, as he's realising it and the, the camera movement that it's like perfect. I don't know, I can't even describe it but you could really see that Archer's mind was blown by this revelation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we should think that he's shocked that he's met a time traveller or that time travel's possible or that... He's just shocked that it's Daniels. Daniels gets up some of his technology and introduces, well, welcomes Archer, I guess, into his temporal observatory. And I gotta say, Chris, this is stunning, isn't it? Don't you, do you love the computer effects in this bit?
1: Yeah, where we get to see, you know, the timeline and everything like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's always been a favourite of mine. The CGI in this scene, and it, even now, I think it's one of my favourite, mm-hmm. one of my favourite scenes in Star Trek, where they've just been completely in a CG, CGI environment. There's so much going on in there. I would love to find out if there was anything important hidden in there. At the time when it aired, I remember people online were trying to say that they could see Borg cubes or something like that, but I think it's actually just the squares of data just like rotating. But, you know, I just, it'd be amazing to know if anything was put in there that was of interest. So during this whole conversation, Daniels reveals that he's also mostly human. I don't know, I guess they're trying to imply that he's just had some alien. Ancestors. Yeah. Like just, just in his bloodline, somewhere through the somewhere through the years, there's been some... Interbreeding. Yeah, interbreeding. I mean, at this point, he looks human again, though. So anything that was in there, if they didn't look like humans, they it's so far removed from him that uh, it doesn't show visually on him, at least. Yeah. And uh, he makes a comment about Earth later that I guess we'll discuss, because from what we know of Discovery now, we need to try and make Daniels' comment fit. But, uh, yeah, so he, he doesn't work for Starfleet, though. That's interesting, no? Yeah. Because he doesn't mention the Federation in this, but we know later on that Daniels is protecting the Federation. We assume he works for the Federation, or for Dreyish, maybe, they're called then, I don't know. I think this is the only time we really hear anything about him with Starfleet, and but he's definitely not working for Starfleet, so is it Timefleet? Had Fleet been established as a name in Voyager? It was, wasn't it?
1: I'm not sure. I'm not that great with Voyager, so...
2: No, not, not many of us are, mate. Don't worry about that.
1: <laughs> don't hate us, Liam and Suzanne. <laughs>
2: Hey, I'm I'm doing a rewatch of it, guys. I'm 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 back in it. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the whole damn show from start to finish. So yeah, found out a little bit more about the temporal cold war. Daniels tells Archer that there's lots of factions. Silic comes from a faction maybe two or three hundred years before Daniels. Basically, when time travel was invented, uh, when they eventually they could work out how to actually send people back through time, they realized it could be used to do harm. Mm-hmm. They had the temporal cause, People agreed to not abuse it for those for those means. I mean, I don't know how would you know though if they if they're changing time, you wouldn't know that they'd yeah. done it anyway. It's like the perfect crime. Some of these factions didn't follow the rules. I guess an analogy you could think of is nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Now, so you think uh, a lot of the or at least the old powers of the world um, had nuclear weapons first. We're all under. Uh, agreements and such that would either have us then dismantle them or agree not to not to use them or make them but then there's yeah. new powers now there's 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 other countries now who are developing nuclear weapons who um, are not complying by the same agreements and there's that threat that they could fire a nuke you know we look at north korea mm-hmm. who are enjoying trying to threaten everyone with nuclear yeah. weapons and um so I guess that's a good analogy, isn't it, for the what was going on in the Temporal Cold War, was that mm-hmm. when people of the smaller factions who you couldn't control, you know, they're not empires, but these could literally just be groups of aliens who just managed to get their hands on some tech. They could live in, I don't know, they could live in a barren moon somewhere. They'd have to, they'd have, to have, a, have a fleet of ships. But they could do, still do damage to the timeline. Still do damage. So Daniels knew that Silic would be on board... Didn't know when, so when do you think Daniels came on board? They haven't gone back to Earth, so you would think he had to right. be there from the start, but if he was there from the start and he had to catch silic and he knew Silic was on the helix, then why didn't Daniels find a way to get over to the helix?
1: I don't know <laughs> <laughs> if we include by the book that we know that he's definitely there, you know at least you know between strange new world and um the next one. <laughs>
2: Uh, unexpected yeah i and i do appreciate that in by the book i think we mentioned that at the time i did like the mention and then for people who haven't listened to it by the book is the first original enterprise novel and daniels was mm-hmm. i think he was seen He wasn't just name dropped, was he? he was he was seen i don't know if he speaks in it yeah. or anything but um he's definitely in in there anyway i guess you could say that certain things had to play out that way certain ways yeah but it can't have done because the Suliban had interfered with the Klingons on Earth with um I can't remember his name now, Clang. with Clang. yeah Klang. So the Suliban were interfering, and that's the only thing that you assumed got Enterprise at the Helix. So that can't have been always meant to play out the way it did as in within what Daniels knew. So you can't have just believe right. in it to get Silic later. Don't know, don't know. I it's I find it I find it interesting like. Again, it's time travel. There's so many holes.
1: Maybe that, that was the first incursion, and that that's why why they sent Daniel's instructions. Because I think he was already, you know, back in this time period. But they sent him instructions, being like, "Hey, look, look, look out for something that doesn't quite fit."
2: He would have to fake records. We find out later that he's he faked a brother. When I was doing my rewatch, I was thinking like, "Oh, what if he replaced someone? Like, he replaced the real Daniels." Yeah. And was posed as him and the other Daniels was stuck in the future now. But that obviously doesn't work because we know that Daniels looks the way he looks. So I think the real explanation is that they didn't know about the Daniels character <laughs> when they did Broken Bow, which is disappointing. I got to say, and I don't criticize Off The Man, but mm-hmm. it's disappointing that Cold Front was the first Temporal Cold War episode after Broken Bow. Wasn't very far into the yeah. series. And it's disappointing that when he looked through it properly... They clearly hadn't already thought about the Daniels character, because it would have been very easy just to make things work with him in the lead up to it. But how do you find Archer's reaction to all this information, and I guess his inclination to trust very quickly, despite the Vulcan science directorate saying yes. that uh, there's no such thing as time travel?
1: I kind of see myself reacting the same way if I actually found out time travel was real, but... Just given the way that Daniel speaks, and I'm sure this is how the time fleet or whatever instructs their agents to to say, you know, hey, you know, this is how you need to talk to get them to trust you, and they'll trust you. Which I don't don't mind them doing that, but, you know, that's kind of how how I took it.
2: Yeah, I do think that he's very quick to trust Daniels. He obviously does raise that question. You know, how do -hmm. do I know I can trust you? You know, Silic, for as bad as he is, he's just saved my ship and yeah. um and then Daniels makes a comment about knowing how he likes his eggs or something like that so and it's like okay that's the one I don't know yeah I think he could have been a bit more I mean this is the last time that they ever really kind of get along Archer wants nothing to do with Daniels when he sees him in later episodes I can't think of mm-hmm. a single time where he willingly worked with him really I guess the start of shockwave part one but by the time that everything had Been destroyed on Earth and stuff. That that was, I guess, where it turned sour.
1: Yeah, and then after that, I don't think they they were really on good terms until after the season four premiere.
2: Mm. Even then, Archer was just like, you know, I don't want to see you anymore. (laughs) Daniels was kind of like, well, don't worry, everything's fixing itself now. And it was all for that. It was all for nothing because, as we know from Discovery, (laughs) within a hundred years, none of it counted for anything. I thought it was very interesting as well in the scene where Archer's explaining. All of these things to a very dubious to Paul, and even Trip being a little dubious. Um, that we got some good mentions, though. We had, you know, there's a mention of the hollow deck technology that the uh, Zerillians had, and um, Saren got a shout out as well, um, played by, oh God, I, I forget her name now, but she's in everything. Melissa, um, no, not Melissa. Melissa, yeah. Julie Cooper on the OC. It's like Saren got a shout out. From the first episode, yeah, she's the one who gave Archer his first kiss in Enterprise. So she was mentioned, and so it was good to see little sort of tines of continuity. I thought throughout, it almost made the uh, the Zerilian holodeck seem deliberate, didn't it? The use of it, right? Yeah, it was like, wow, they actually they just showed us that technology because they wanted Trip to doubt the temporal observatory, saying, you know, like, mm-hmm. I've seen the computer imagery we've done with these things what did you think when archer went in did he sense a change in archer's mood when he walks into the mess hall after uh, all the guests are in there and flocks and a few of his crew and getting ready for this big event and archer's mood was different wasn't it
1: it was slightly different yeah i mean i'm not sure if that was influenced by him you know still kind of processing everything and trying to figure out you know who do we need to give credit for slash blame of what happened slightly different attitude but still our archer
2: you could just tell he was immediately distrustful of everyone in the room. You could see him scanning the room. Flox is talking to him at this point. Flox is really getting to this religious ceremony and very excitable. And he's talking to Archer. And Archer's doing a pretty good job of kind of going along with the conversation whilst clearly not listening to a word of it, <laughs> whilst yeah. he's trying to just scan the crowd. And I mean, risky for Archer to suddenly go in there and be so conservative with his behaviour and attitude with them all and restrained i guess is a better word because it could have it could have outed to Silic that archer knew something was up
1: maybe Silic, you know did notice that as they walked in and then you know snuck into archer's cabin for our scene coming up
2: hmm. i didn't think about that see because i was gonna say maybe silica actually was already waiting but that would make sense that he could have just slipped away after that and gone to archer's cabin Hmm, I like that. I'm going to go with that. That's going to make sense to me. So maybe Archer out with himself. Because he didn't know who he was looking for. And all, a lot of the aliens look similar to me. I wouldn't know whether or not Silic was in there, even if I had screen screen caps of it in front of me. So yeah, it turns out Silic is invisible in Archer's room. Porthos knew, I'm trying to warn Archer, but Archer was feeding him instead.
1: Thinking he wanted cheese.
2: Silic, we hear his voice first, I think, before he reveals himself. And he's in full... Sullivan gear at this point. Did they establish why Daniels couldn't detect Silic?
1: I think it was because his little scanner needed a, like a wider range, and so that's why they had to tie it into the, the ship's
2: sensors. This just seems odd, does not it, that Silic was moving around this ship. But why couldn't the Enterprise pick up the Suliban then? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, so much is falling apart on this episode. I don't, yeah, I don't understand why the NX-01 wouldn't have detected Silic.
1: Well, maybe because they didn't know exactly what to look for. Okay. Maybe the tachyons are, you know, specific to the cabal here for the Suleban.
2: I admire your effort here, Chris, to um <laughs> to explain away some of these bits. When I watch Shockwave, I swear if I hear them say that they can detect Suleban anywhere on the ship, then <laughs> I'm coming back to this discussion about the fact that they clearly should have been able to pick up Silic.
1: Well, this was this was later on. Shockwave was later on, so
2: <laughs> true yeah you could you could get away with it without i suppose yeah that conversation with Cilic and archer was mostly Silic knew that mm-hmm. he didn't he knew didn't he that someone was there yeah he was there to get that person really and, and daniels was there to get him so uh, there could only be one victor in that and then to paul unwittingly gives it away over the calm about crewman daniels wanting to get started on something in engineering yeah Silic says, thank you, got everything I need, shoots Archer, Archer goes down, doesn't kill him, obviously, he knows he can't kill him.
1: All right.
2: Archer's out for a while now. Uh, we find some information out from Daniels, like, I think Trip asks him about Earth. What's he say? Like, of, He implies it's different, basically, doesn't he? And it's not the Earth that Trip is familiar he's with. He's from
1: Illinois, but, but not the Illinois he's familiar with.
2: For people who are listening, as we say this, uh, Discovery has only aired two episodes of its third season and uh, we know from the trailer that we're going to see earth in the third one so earth seemingly probably still does exist but i wonder if they've mentioned the temporal wars already on discovery which they have they've they've mentioned the temporal wars. yeah
1: it came up briefly and then just sort of like a a throwaway type line
2: a real throwaway line to explain explain away why burnham and discovery couldn't just go back in time (laughs) yeah Every Trekkie knows that the time travel technology existed before where Burnham and uh, Discovery have gone to. So so as we say this, we don't really know if Discovery has paid any attention to Daniels' comment about Earth. But um, by the time it airs, this, this episode, we will definitely know probably because Discovery will be halfway through its first season. Daniels becomes a hero when they find out that he detects that Silic is on uh, the deck. Daniels gets them all to evacuate Engineering and it's all for nothing because Silic kills him yeah just kills him just like that we find out later daniels didn't die but at this point we didn't know it so did you think daniels was dead
1: at this point my first watch through i thought that you know he probably was but there i knew in the back of my head there was that off chance that he got pulled back into the future right before he died
2: Mm. and i guess that then sort of brings up the question of what actually happened to him because the the computer effect shows him almost Shattering, I guess, like uh, if you broke a rock or or something or glass, you know, it just uh, yeah, shatters apart. My theory is that it's not really a theory. It's like I can't remember what he says in Shockwave when Archer confronts him and says, you know, I thought you were dead or you died, and he's like, Oh I did. I think he says something along the lines of like, uh, I did or you know, kind of did. Are we to assume that like maybe in the past that either he can't die and that like the moment he's close to death. He's pulled out, like you said, pull, he's pulled back yeah. to his time. Or is there something more, is there a million Daniels? And Daniels is actually just some kind of just some kind of cloned thing that the next one wakes up as soon as one dies kind of thing. What, what do you think's going on there?
1: The more sci-fi answer would be as soon as that Daniels dies, you know, it, it, it sort, of, sort of winds up being like the Vorda. You know, just once one dies, you replace it with the other.
2: Yeah, which would and kind of make sense that, that technology will be getting used for other reasons in the future. I'm kind of inclined to think that he, at the moment, close to death, gets just gets pulled out of there. If we didn't know better, you could almost argue that, does he even really, like, is he there properly ever? Or is he being yeah. not just projected, but in some form projected where he, he can still interact with the, I don't know, a lot of sci-fi explanations going into it. But yeah, Daniel dies, and it seems like a bit of um, a non-eventful death, really. I, it took me by surprise. Every time I watch the episode and he dies, I'm always like, wow, that, that really just came out of nowhere. We just got this cool character, he's yeah. a time traveler, and now he's died. And then Silic thinks he's got hold of some of Daniel's tech, and now he's uh, trying to get out of there. Archer now has some, a piece of tech that Daniel's had, which lets him walk through walls, and he bumps into Silic tries to stop him. Archer gets his ass whooped in the first part of the fight, when they're in between like the corridors. And this was back in Season 1, and I guess a little bit of Season 2, when the Enterprise crew used to just always get their asses kicked. Do you notice that, like, in the early days, they'd always get their asses kicked. It changed later on, they became badasses. Right. But in the first season, they just get knocked out easily. Archer just wouldn't win a fight. He couldn't win a fight for nothing. He'd always lose. This spreads out into the shuttle bay. Silic. Opens up the shuttle pod bay doors because he's got a Suleban ship coming to save him and get into a fight. And eventually, when the doors open, Silic makes his escape. Doesn't get the tech that he wanted to take with him. Archer stopped that. But I'm trying to work out, like, why, given there's no force fields or anything, why wasn't Archer sucked out? Because when the door opens, right, the room would have immediately had the oxygen sucked out of it, yeah? Yeah. So Archer, he's holding on. Okay, I get that. But realistically, it should have happened with such force...
1: That he wouldn't have been able to hang on.
2: He would have just got yanked out of there, no? And we've even seen that in Enterprise later on, in um, mm-hmm. when the ship gets attacked and stuff, and you see bodies just suddenly get sucked out into space. We've seen it on Discovery as well, so...
1: And famously in Star Trek 09, too, there at the beginning.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I guess I guess it's for dramatic effect, but I was always kind of thinking, like, well, hang on, this this isn't like a plane... Even in a plane, there's like in the media, I think, you can get sucked up pretty quick. But it's not like you're in Earth's atmosphere and it's just taking longer for all the air to get sucked out and spun around. This is like, this is space. It just, something opens and oof. the air just gets sucked out. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. So. But Archer manages to climb up and he is on the railing. just looks, looks like he's struggling to breathe. So the, the indication is, Chris, that the oxygen is, is leaving the room. It's leaving, But not yeah. very quickly. It's just... I guess, low low oxygen levels. Like, it's, it's not gone from the room. And that's the end of the fight. That's, that's it, done. But Archer even has time to get out of the room <laughs> and into one way there. So I don't know. To me, it was a little bit... Uh, but I did like the scene. Uh, it was a nice little fight scene, I guess. From the start, when they're in the corridor, uh, in between the corridors, to this. What do you think of this this fight scene?
1: It, it was pretty pretty interesting, you know. see see a little bit more of the ship that, you know, nobody really sees, you know, that's the behind-the-panels part. mm stuff
2: this leads to archers obviously in his uh, his ready room and he's looking at the clock that he was gifted by their guests i remember very vividly at a time that everyone thought this clock was going to come back into play and, mm-hmm. I, and you can understand why like he's given it as a gift he's randomly looking at it in this scene and then when he puts it down on the table and goes back out like out onto the bridge the camera after following them leaving
1: comes back down to it
2: It does, doesn't it? It makes you think, ooh, Mm -hmm. something about that clock. Message boards, mate, at the time, they were all full of theories about the clock. And you know what? It never played a part (laughs) in anything again. Maybe it was never meant to. Maybe just good old Tom Paris, when he was directing, just thought, I really like this clock. I'm just going to do a few of these shots that show off the clock, not realizing what he was starting (laughs) in the fandom.
1: Or maybe he knew exactly what he was starting.
2: (laughs) Archer decides that, you know, all the tech is to be locked in Daniel's cabin. Sealed away, no one to go in. guess that means Daniel's messy roommate got moved into someone else's cabin. Yeah. So that's unfortunate for the person he gets moved in with, because they're now going to have to deal with a really messy son of a bitch. (laughs) We get some, by Enterprise standards, some very out-of-character sort of mystery music playing. And I guess a little bit tense music playing as we see Reed putting this lock on the door with one of his crew in, and they walk off. We just move in slowly with this creepy music on the lock on the door, and then, you know, snap to black, we're done. Archer's theme hits, and we're left with a mystery. Again, like with the clock, where we thought something was going to come from that, the moving in on the door, even when I watch it now, and I know better, 19 years later, it makes me think, oh, there's something else in there. You know, doesn't it? Like, the way the way it goes in, you think, oh, what is in there? Yeah. What, something else is in there? Why is the music making me think something's in there? Why are they closing on this door? I mean, did do you agree? <laughs> do you think it made you think there was something inside that room?
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, they were trying to keep something in there and keep everybody in this time period from trying to figure out what was in there. But I like how they did do that to kind of set up, you know, the future episodes in this arc. Saying that, hey, well, we're coming back to this.
2: Yeah, it was definitely saying this isn't done. We didn't really ever get any payoff on that. I know that in Shockwave Part 2, mm-hmm. or maybe it's Part 1, they have to go in there to get something out of, the, out of the room. Nothing major, though, that warranted this sort of cliffhanger ending. But yeah, I did like they were saying that the story was going to... Like you said, we're coming back to it. And it's a real mystery. None of you know where we're going with this story. So that's the episode. So that's the first continuation of the Temporal Cold War storyline. I guess what I should ask you first, Chris, because I don't know if we've ever discussed this, but the Temporal Cold War storyline is hit and miss for some Fans, mm-hmm. people who either dislike Enterprise or will be part of that crowd who hate the first two seasons, but it got good in the third. Just such BS, anyway. But they often will say or use the temporal cold war as like the stick to beat the show with. What's your feelings on the temporal cold war?
1: For me, I just kind of enjoyed it because it was something that you know linked everything together. You know, within the the first couple seasons, the only part that I didn't really like is was they're like, hey. Manny Koto's taking over, let's just throw them back into World War II and have him sort this out. That's the only part that I don't really care for, but I mean I like I like the episodes that came from it, but it was it was just a god awful nightmare to form.
2: Yeah, I love the what they did with the Temporal Cold War throughout the show. Like I love mm-hmm. I thought Shockwave was a great story i mean they they built themselves a cliffhanger that they i think they struggled to get out of in shockwave but we'll talk about that another time i guess future tense was fantastic the expanse is one of the best episodes of star trek ever the zindi arc is born out of the temporal cold war Mm -hmm. so all this is all gold broken bow one of the best well one of the best premieres you'll find in star trek show and then we get the damn alien nazis yeah yeah i mean it's it's a bit of a mess it doesn't end on a high note don't get me wrong. I mean, I still enjoy the episodes to watch, but if someone told me that's how the Temporal Cold War was going to end, I'd be gutted. If someone told me that you're never going to travel to the future on the show except to see a destroyed Earth, I would have been a bit gutted then as well. Yeah. But I think Cold Front starts well.
1: We do see parts of the Enterprise J.
2: Mm, yeah, 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 we do. Which I guess we'll talk about that one day, but I've seen some people try to argue that that ship doesn't exist now because that battle would have never happened based on... What happened at the end of the Zindi arc? Very confusing. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. So, okay, so you're a fan of the Temporal Cold War. Me too. Did this episode add more layers to the Temporal Cold War for you? Or did it complicate things? I guess what I should say, actually, is it... Did it just keep adding questions or did it give you some answers and then add questions
0: it gave
1: you a few answers but definitely gave you a few more questions than it did answer which you know if you're writing television that's kind of what you want to do answer a few things but keep a few juicy danglers out there
2: yeah the episode itself felt very much like very different to voyager which had preceded it and even ds9 it was a it felt like a very different kind of story that we hadn't seen, like, different factions. And I know we'd seen people come back from the future before, but this felt like a different kind of story that was being told. And this feels like an Enterprise story as well. They were so under tech and under-prepared for what was going on in this story that you wouldn't have got any other Trek shows. Yeah. You've got crew who've seen more, done more, have better technology and can call upon Starfleet history of time travel with how to deal with things, you know, I guess given the Vulcans didn't believe time travel existed, Starfleet probably have nothing in their charter or anything about how to deal with it. Yeah, whereas I imagine they do. Well, we know they do later on because yeah. we see Cisco get himself in some trouble with those uh, those two agents. What was the name of that? Department
1: of uh, Temporal Investigations.
2: That was it. Yeah, yeah. So we know that eventually Starfleet has a Department that specifically deal uh, with with this kind of thing.
1: A hundred years from from this point, they do because they talk about Kirk, you know, having the most violations.
2: Maybe that got formed out of the temporal cold war. Yeah. So yeah, I really enjoyed this. What was your takeaway from this? Were you a big fan of Cold Front as a whole?
1: Yeah, it was it was good at, at kind of picking up what what was started in Broken Bow, adding to it, answering a few questions from there, but giving us enough to keep on going.
2: Yeah, I like the technology that we got to see. I thought Archer was good in this as well. Different sides to Archer, isn't it? Than what we'd been seeing with him.
1: Yeah, we got to see the little more skeptical but still curious side of
2: him. Bit more pissed off Archer than we've seen yeah. before. I thought he was very responsible, though. Locking away Daniels, his equipment. I mean, he surely must have wanted to take it. Because the argument would be, you say, well, I don't want to corrupt the timeline. So he's been responsible. But how does he know that he wasn't always meant to take that technology? Maybe Daniels is... Coming from a future, which is based on Archer having taken that technology, cause and effect again. Stuff like that. Yeah. What about your favorite scenes or moments? I mean, either all?
1: Oh, really, this was a great episode for Fox moments. Just talking about how, you know, he, he visited all these different religious areas on Earth. Even, you know, the Vulcan embassy kind of taking in some of their cultural beliefs. Definitely one of Fox's better momented episodes.
2: He lightened the mood, didn't he? To the point where you forget that he's got all this going on because you got all this drama, and then you just randomly jump back to Flocks is having his own complete yeah. different experience with these aliens, and no one's told him what's going on because it's it's all under the radar. I mean, it seems ridiculous, actually, in hindsight, that Archer seemingly didn't clue Malcolm Reed into what was going on. Yeah, I feel like your armory officer, your head of security, you tell them maybe he didn't because he worried that. If they suddenly started posting more security around, which Reed would want to do, then maybe that would give away that they were on to uh, But I think at that point, really, Silic was kind of doing whatever the hell he wanted at this point anyway. He's given up his yeah. appearance and everything. So my favorite part of the whole episode is the temporal observatory. I just love that. I think that bit's great. And I guess how dubious DePaul was of all of time travel. She doesn't believe anything. And then just Trip trying to find out about, um, he's trying to get a bet in on it. Like we find out there's like a pool every day for how far the ship's going to travel and Tripp's asking Daniels if he can sort of give him a hint as to what uh, he should bet on the next day. And even Daniels says, you know, well, we don't monitor history that closely, which maybe that is a get out of jail card.
1: I think they do, but Daniels isn't wanting to adjust, you know, anything here in the past. Because I'm sure that, that that Back to the Future 2 survived to that point in history. So he knows the dangers of telling somebody, you know, what to bet on.
2: But as we learned in Avengers Endgame, Back to the Future got it all wrong. <laughs> Any other comments on Cold Front? Any notes you want to raise or observations you'd like to share?
1: Well, the original working title for this episode was Untitled Sulaban.
2: Oh, wow. What a great episode that would have been. Untitled Suleiman.
1: One more thing. With the date that they give for the, in the Captain's Log, it actually puts it a week after the next episode of Silent Enemy.
2: Oh no, does it? What was the production order?
1: Silent Enemy was the next one produced too, so...
2: These shows have continuity editors who are like... I know it's like on-set on stuff, but surely someone's checking for things like that. Particularly in Star Trek when they know that 20 years later there's people like us still picking apart... <laughs> Everything about the shows, God Almighty, that's so sloppy. Because dates as well, isn't it? It's not even star dates.
1: Yeah, you're using actual calendar dates.
2: Oh well, minor error. I can look past it.
1: On December 16th, 2020, our weekly discussion will focus on the Star Trek Enterprise novel Surak Soul. This is the third original Enterprise novel, following By the Book and What Price Honor, which we have previously reviewed on this podcast. If you'd like to be fully knowledgeable of what we discuss on December 16th, then please dig out your copy of Surak Soul or visit an online retailer to purchase a copy. We look forward to our next book club discussion.
2: The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by Chris Hill and myself, Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow NX01 Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find Chris Hill on Twitter at TheChrisHill, and myself on Twitter at KyleThomasWest. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type The Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thank you for listening.
0: This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Sweet Media programs.
1: Loading Sweet Preview Program for Boldly Go, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast.
0: It, it's too much effort and I'm busy. I gotta get this done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had stuff to do. He had logs to plant. He had a shift to take over. <laughs> He had an entire plot to uh, to fill out and make everyone think that he needed to have a trial for mutiny <laughs> because exactly. that will distract everyone long enough for them to get to Talospore. He's busier than Prince Humperdinck.
1: Loading Sweet Preview Program for Star Pod Trek, a podcast exploring Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future. So we're seeing that the early Star Trek conventions were were a nice balance between science fiction and real
2: world science, and that was cool because th- because a lot of uh, Star Trek fans are interested in science, and a lot of, and I mean all of those um, science guests that were there probably were Star Trek fans, and and they they probably even said that that they got into to science because of their love of Star Trek. Loading Hollow Suite preview program for
1: the Vedic Assembly. A Deep Space Nine podcast.
2: We don't know what that
1: Cardassian technology is, but it could, yeah. Do
0: we need to know? No, we don't need to know. Just some bit
1: of... Self-sealing, self-sealing stem bolts. Yes,
0: it wants those self-sealing stem bolts. (laughs)
2: Somebody wants them.
0: (laughs) Because self-sealing, you guys. Yes. I mean, it's not just a regular stem bolt. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know why you don't get why these are so valuable. Okay. Computer, deactivate Suite.